One Hope Church. All right, good morning, everyone. This morning we are in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, if you want to go ahead and get ready there. And we are getting close to the end of 2 Samuel, uh, which is pretty cool. We will take 23 today, um, chapter 24 next Sunday, and then the following Sunday, remember, we'll be meeting um, late afternoon, early evening, 5, 5 p.m. Um, here because we have the uh, half race in the morning that our folks are, some of our folks are running for a fundraiser for the School for Girls in Tanzania. So that's all um, exciting. We want to support them in, in that effort, and um, we're all part of that effort. So it's just amazing, again, that a little um, church meeting in a basement gets to um, participate in the work of God um, in, in many places in the world. And, um, you know, we, we're just thankful for that. God, has, God takes what is little and can use that, uh, what is, that, what, that little um, thing or that little person um, in the world's eyes to accomplish things that are great in God's eyes. Um, and that's just a wonderful blessing. And we're going to look at that a little bit this morning um, in the life of, of David um, in his last words. And, and he talks about how God brought him from a place of, of little um, to being king um, of Israel and establishing um, a covenant um, with him. And, and so we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at David's mighty uh, men who accomplished um, amazing feats in, through God's power um, in, a, in a human, you know, in our human understanding or human sense, and kind of contrast that with the disciples of Jesus and um, how he used them. And, and it's going to be, I think that'll be interesting contrast for us this morning. So let's read um, chapter 23, and we'll read the first seven verses and, and pray and get into it this morning. So it says, now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing up out of the earth, but by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron in the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are good and that you are God, and that you love us and care for us, and that you can raise up the lowly. Um, Lord, we're thankful uh, for your power and your might. 
We pray that you be with us um, here as we look into your word, be, be with our kids. May they uh, worship you this morning and understand your, your word is upstairs. And um, please be with them in their lesson and be with us in ours and help us um, to fall more, help all of us to fall more in love with you, God, and more in love with your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross for us and that you are a risen Savior and you will return as King. And we trust you and praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen. So when David says in verse 1, he says, you know, he acknowledges who he is. He's that, you know, he's the David, the son of Jesse. And we know he was the young son of Jesse. That there were others um, who, uh, when um, Samuel went to anoint a new king, that there were other brothers that he thought would have been the king, but the Lord said no. And uh, said, is it? And, and Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any other sons? Got, well, we have one more watching the sheep in the field. Samuel says, bring him in. And the Lord confirmed that he was the one that would be anointed to be the next king of Israel, that he was the man that was raised up on high. You know, he didn't have it um, naturally from being born into the correct family um, to be the king. And even within his own family, he wasn't the natural you know, choice from a human perspective. But yet God used him and brought him up. And it says, you know, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. So he's saying, you know, that that those psalms that he's written, you know, we have many of them in our our scripture in the book of Psalms. You know, many of them are written by David. And he says, you know, it's the Lord that gave him that. And so he's giving glory um, to God for how he's been raised up in position, for being the psalmist of, of Israel. It's, he gives credit where the credit belongs, which is with God. And that's just a great lesson for us. You know, whatever we have in life, we have every good gift comes from above. Everything we have in life. We can say on a human perspective, yes, I worked hard. But from a bigger picture perspective, God gave us everything, including the breath um, in our lungs. And so we need to give God, the glory that God is his due. Um, and he makes a statement here. It says, The God of Israel said in verse 3, The rock of Israel spoke to me, He who rules over men must be just. You know, there's, there's an acknowledgement to that. There were many, you know, for the majority of life, his life, in most cases, you know, David did do what was just. We know there's a notable, notable exception um, to that that the scripture certainly does not ignore. But there's that responsibility that who's, who has authority has responsibility for how they use that authority. Um, and that's just one of those abiding principles that doesn't you know, change and that God holds people um, to account who have power in this world and also those who um, have authority you know, in the church. The book of James says that. And that not many of us be teachers, nor we shall receive a greater condemnation, like with responsibility, um, sorry, with, with privilege or with position, with power, with any of those things, that you, whatever you want to call it, with that comes responsibility and God's accountability to those things. And he says, you know, that God has made with him an everlasting covenant. We know ultimately it is Jesus Christ, the anointed one, who fulfills that role. Um, in the ultimate sense, in the spiritual sense of 
Um, I mean, even in his human lineage, you know, yes, but really um, in an eternal sense, it's Christ who sits on that throne um, forever and ever. And then it talks about those who are in, you know, in rebellion. And they, they are thorns, you know, thrust away. And this is just a reality, I think even in a spiritual sense for the future, you know, of, of judgment for those who rebel ultimately against God. Um, again, that's something that, um, you know, the church doesn't want to, to seem to want to speak to too much um, in these days. Um, and, you know, we don't want to be, um, you know, there's extremes on, on all sides, and you have to be, be careful of that. Um, but we need to tell the truth in love. And part of the truth is, a very important point of truth, is that God will indeed judge. You know, and it's, you know, we'll talk about this more as we go on, but, you know, we, we need, um, in the church, we need courage in the world that we live in. We need courage. Uh, we need people of courage. And so, David has made... Um, his statements, he has made his statements about the glory, you know, giving glory to God and about what God has done in his life and what will, God will do um, in the future. And then beginning in verse 8 to the end of the chapter, we have this account of David's, you know, mighty men. Um, so there's uh, 37 men that are listed here. Um, we'll, we'll look through them. There are some names and some places in here that are difficult to pronounce, if I mess any of them up this morning, um, forgive me for that. But let's look at them, and then um, we'll, we'll talk about what that could look like in, in, in the context of the church in the, future, for in the past and, and today. But it says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had, Josheb, Bathshebeth, the Tachomanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. Okay, that name he was given, Adino the Esnite, means like one who, um, one who wields um, the axe or the, the spear. Um, you know, so, so it's like he's given a name that, that's directly attributed to his prowess you know, in battle. Um, so basically, I mean, you know, you've probably seen some movie in your life, whether that's Braveheart or Gladiator or whatever. Any of these dudes have nothing. Any of those dudes have nothing on the guy, on some of the guys that are listed here and in, in what they did. Because I think and if, it was, if this was in a movie scene, it would be just like, okay, that's just ridiculous. You know, like we've gone into the realm of like comics, you know, or something, you know, here. Um, Except for that this is real. And they did this not because, you know, not solely because of their own physical prowess or skill in battle, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and gave them the ability to accomplish this um, as a testimony to God being the true and living God. And that the other, you know, nations would have opportunity to take note of that and to turn and follow him. And again, throughout the Old Testament, you see people of many different nations acknowledging ultimately that, you know, that God, that Yahweh is the true and living God. 
I mean, if you want one example, you read um, the book of Dan- Daniel and see the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar and, and his, how he was humbled by God and had to come to acknowledge that Yahweh is the true and living God. Uh, that's just one of many, many examples. So, then in verse 9, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. Now, imagine that dude, he had wielded his sword so much, it's like his hand was like locked in place. His hand stuck to the sword. Like that's how he fought that day. That's pretty incredible. Verse 11, And after him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Herite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled with the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. This man, Shama, stood in the middle of the lentil field. I think that's kind of cool, that little detail there. It's not just like a field. field full of lentils. You know, you like your lentils, you know, you know, he's like, some people are going to fight for their, you know, he's like, he's like, you're not taking our, you're not taking our lentils today. Okay, you hear me? Because this is what, you know, the Philistines would, would do oftentimes. They'd come in at the time of harvest, and we see this back from, you know, the, the ju- days of the judges. You know, they come in at the time of the harvest. Like, so the, the Hebrews, you know, the Israelites have done all the work. And, and they've got the crops ready. And then once the crops get harvested, the Philistines would come in and just steal everything by force. I mean, this happens time and time again as you read the Old Testament. And this dude this day is like, you're not taking our lentils. I'm defending these lentils. You know? And he's, he's got a, it's just a little interesting thing. That, but he stationed himself there. But notice it said, the Lord brought about a great victory. And that's the key thing. You, know, you see this already multiple times. The Lord brings about the victory. Because this dude, without the Lord, is just going to die for those lentils. Because he's, you know, it's one versus a multitude, right? So he fights. Then three of the thirty men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped, encamped in the valley of Rephium. And David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David saying, said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. So here we see these three guys were also incredibly loyal um, to David and would do like any, I mean, literally anything for him. And he says in passing as a whim, not intending that any of his men would go and like try to get this water from this well. And these three dudes are like, we can go get that water from that well. And they just go and do it. Like they fight, break through a camp. And you can imagine like two of them fitting people off and the third one's like, let me get some water out of this well. Let me draw this bucket up. Where's the water? Right, we got the water. Let's go. You know, and fighting their way out of there. 
and taking David back. You asked for this water. Here it is. I mean, that is crazy, <laughs> like in some ways. But uh, it shows their loyalty that they, that they had um, to him. It says, these things were done by the three mighty men. Now, verse 18, Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zoriah, was a chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. And I think I'll just note here, as you talk about Abishai, the brother, it says, Abishai, the brother of Joab, um, that, you know, he's listed, but Joab himself is not listed in, in this list. Now, there's one, you could look at that one or two ways. And, I need to, and this is one I need to think a little more on, so to, I'm not going to give you my opinion on it this morning. But one or two ways is that he was the commander of the army. So it's either just like a given that, he's, that he is one of David's mighty men, and there's just not a question to it because he was commander of the army. Or it could be that David is still a little bit salty about Joab killing his son, Absalom, even though Absalom had rebelled. And so has him left out of the list. You know, in that case, even though it's not necessarily um, David who directly, you know, writes, you know, he, you know, his part had ended in verse 7 in terms of what he said. And so this is an, an account, but it could have been at his instruction that that name is not there. Um, one of two reasons for, for that. And, you know, I think you can make a good argument either way. And, and I'm not set on one myself. Um, but those are some things just to think about. So um, you have Abishai and then verse 20. Benani was the son of Jehodadai the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with his staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaniah, the son of Jehoadiah, did and won a name among the three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Ben and I was a bad dude. Um, I mean, so the, the phrase there, two lion-like heroes of Moab, I mean, that's a description. You know, we could say today, sometimes we say like, man, that dude is like a bear. You know, he's just big and strong. Um, or he's like, you know, these men are like ferocious, like lions. Um, you know, it's a figure of speech that gives you an ind ind indicator. But... It's like, he had killed these two that were lion-like. You know, that's how they would be described. Oh, and an actual lion in a pit on a snowy day. You know, like, I mean, you, know, you want to make this as, like, as intense as you can. There it is. And then this Egyptian who says, you know, is a spectacular man. Like, this, you know, this dude is, is built to fight. And he has a spear. And Ben and I just goes with his staff. And says, I'll just take your spear. I mean, that's, this is kind of like insulting in some way to think about it. You know, take the dude's spear and killed him with his own spear. You know, that's just, I don't even need to go down here with like a regular weapon. I can just come with you, shepherd staff. I'm going to take that spear from you. 
That's intense. But even then, I mean, I kind of feel bad for him in the sense that he's not listed. He did not attain to the first three. I mean, he's got to be like, what else I got to do? <laughs> you know, I mean, what, what's I got to do to be in that group? Uh, that's, you know, I mean, look at, I mean, he has four verses dedicated to him here. And he still doesn't make the top three. You know, I mean, he can't, can't break through there. Uh, that's pretty intense. Uh, then, verse 24, Asahel, the brother of Joab, so the other brother of Joab is, is mentioned here, was one of the 30. Elohim, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shammah, the Herodite, Elikah, the Herodite, Helez, the Paltite, Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Keotite, Abizer, the Athanathite, Mabunai, the Hushathite, Zalman, the Ohite, Marhara, the Nedophite, Nedoph. For fight. <laughs> I don't know. Helev, the son of Bana, the Neto for fight. Idiah, the son of Ribiah from Gibeah of the children of Benjamin, Benanai, the uh, Pirithonite, Hidiadai from the brooks of Gaash, Abialbon, the Arbathite, Amavzev, the Barhumatite, I'm getting tired. Elihabad, the Shalbanite, the, the sons of Jason. Jonathan, Shammah, the Harite. I am the son of Shara, the Harite. Eliphelet, the son of Abish, Ab, Ahash, by, I just messed that one up. The son of Maacathite. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gileanite. Hezriah, the Carmelite. Periah, the Arbite. Igal, the son of Nathan of Zobah. Thank you, Nathan of Zoba. Bani the Gadite, <laughs> Zelek the Ammonite, Nerai the Bethorite, armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zariah. So there's Joab's armor bearer as well. Listen, two brothers and the armor bearer. Ira the Ithrite, Garib the Ithrite, and Uriah the Hittite. 37 in all. All right. Woo! Okay. So these others are listed here, and they're also, you know, really intense people. I, I really, I mean, don't you just have to appreciate the scripture that Uriah the Hittite is listed here, and he's, you know, his name isn't, isn't buried like there in the middle. It's the last one, because you remember the people at the beginning and, and somebody at the end, somebody in the middle, you know, what, what's name number 15? Anybody? All right, nobody here could tell me. You're going to have to count, right? And remember, but the last one, you can you remember that name as well. And so again, you know, the scripture just doesn't hide the failure of people, even when they are people after the Lord's own heart. Scripture's not going to hide their failure. Um, and especially in a position of leadership, that sin, you know, that sin that... David had committed in private and, and tried to hide God made known publicly and to be remembered throughout all of human history. Throughout all of human history. Not to be forgotten. Uriah the Hittite. Not to be forgotten. And again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with that place that, that David had been elevated to by God came certain responsibilities. 
And I'll also just say, aren't we thankful that God has not published all of our sins and put them out for the world to read? You know, these, these are extreme things that, are, that God does here, but he does them for a reason. So that, that would be, you know, an example to the rest of us that God sees all these things and he pays attention. And even if he has elevated you, he's not going to let you off the hook. Easy. Just to spare his own name. You, you get that part of it? Because when David's sin is exposed, it makes God look bad to the nation. And to, I mean, it's, it's a, it, it hurts the name of God, particularly among the other nations, particularly among people who don't believe that Yahweh is a true and living God. Because accusations can be made, like, well, even his followers don't really believe or follow him, otherwise they wouldn't do X, Y, or Z. Right? So it's his testimony that hurts the, the I mean, when his testimony is damaged, um, when he hurts his own testimony, it hurts the name of God. That's a lesson that's true for us today. I mean, on a much smaller level, on a micro level. If somebody claims to follow Jesus and then they treat an employee very badly, what does that do among everybody there who doesn't believe in Jesus in that office who's watching that? It gives them reason to say, see, these people aren't any different. They don't do anything different. When the... When the follower of Jesus who's known in the community commits adultery, what does the community then say? So we have to be aware that if we are followers of Jesus, we automatically have a responsibility about our testimony in the community. But particularly, you know, as we become more and more known as being followers of Jesus and we're out sharing the gospel. We're out you know, trying to tell people or saying that this is, these are our values and we're raising funds for this school in, in Tanzania. Well, there's a responsibility with that. There's a responsibility that we all have if we claim that Jesus is my king. Jesus is my savior. Now we've taken on responsibility. So our language cannot be the language of this world. Our attitude cannot be the attitude of this world. Our actions cannot be the actions of this world. We must be markedly different. And when we do fall... We need to be very quick to acknowledge that before God and before everyone else who knows and sees. And even that can be an opportunity to show a difference in how we handle failure, how we handle it when we do sin. But the world is watching. You know, I, I, I think many times we wish that wasn't the case. We wish that we could live without scrutiny from God or humans, <laughs> but 
that's just not reality. God is watching and people are watching. We might not like that, all of that, but that is a reality for us today. If we claim the name of Jesus, it comes with expectations. There are expectations of us, and Jesus has expectations of us. If you love me, keep my commandments. Like Jesus has expectations. Jesus' expectations are that we would make disciples of all the people groups. And that we would be active, that we would go and we would do that. That's a little bit easier than it used to be. Because there's a lot of the world represented in Athens, Georgia. You want to see the world? Go to the university and, and meet students from other nations. Share the love of Jesus with them. You want to reach the world? Go to the flea market and share the love of Jesus with people from many different nations. Those are two places where I can guarantee you you will find people from all over the world on the University of Georgia campus at the flea market. Those two places are very different from one another, but you will find people from all over the world at those two places. Like that, it's, it's you know, if we want to reach the world, they're there. They're there. And obviously, I say that with a missionary heart of go to Tanzania, go to Mexico, go to Iraq, go to wherever the Lord calls you and sends you, or you have opportunity to go and, and share. Like, I'm not removing that element from it. At the same time, I think sometimes it's easier to get on a plane and go somewhere than it is to drive five miles. And, and, I, and, and, I, and I just, let me say this this morning, okay? Because if we say, hey, we're going to go to Mexico, it's like, that sounds cool. Or we're going to go to this other country, it's like, that sounds appealing. But we're going to go right down the road. That's not very adventurous. And so we have to be honest with ourselves sometimes. Do we want just to share the gospel with people or do we want adventure and experience and see beautiful mountains and other parts of the world and everything else? Because if we want to really see people become disciples, we're going to do more than just occasionally go on a mission trip. And we're going to be serious and active with the people we work with and the people we are around on a regular basis, and we're going to be intentional in their lives for the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, one thing about these warriors in the days of David, they were obviously, they were dedicated, and their actions proved that they were dedicated. Because they were willing to die for it. And I, I want to say, okay, you got David's warriors, and then I want to contrast a little bit Jesus' disciples. 
Now, we don't know how the disciples um, of Jesus would have reacted if they had been in the days of David. Like, would have any of them made this list of David's mighty men? You can't really say that. However, we can say a few things. One thing we can say is at the time that that Jesus' disciples are on the earth, they are under Roman occupation, and that there are, from time to time, rebellions, like the zealots. Well, we have Simon the zealot, we have Simon Peter. So he was part of that group that was, you know, um, before he comes to know the Lord, where he could consider rebellion against the Roman Empire. He consider it. It's also interesting that he's the one that takes the sword when they go to the garden, and he's the one who uses a sword on the, the servant of the high priest. And then what does Jesus do? He basically says in his church, in his, you know, he doesn't want his followers to do things that way. That way. We're not going to win this spiritual battle for humanity, you know, for human souls through physical weapons. Puts the dude's ear back on. I mean, that's a, yeah, Jesus doesn't say those words, but that's a message that he's giving there. And, and we see that these disciples also all fled during, when Jesus was arrested, you know, then they do what? They all scatter. It wasn't until the resurrection of Jesus and when the Spirit of God comes upon them at Pentecost that they are filled with power and then they turn into mighty men who were brave enough without weapon to go to people with weapons and preach the gospel of the kingdom that there was one true king in the universe and his name is Jesus Christ. He had, they had that power and authority to say to men who had the power to kill them in human terms and say, is it better to serve God or men? See, these, the men that they were up against, the people that they were up against, didn't just have the power to, like, fire them. They didn't have that power, actually. Couldn't fire them. But they had the power to throw them in jail and the power to kill them. And these, these disciples said, you know, we're just going to keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what you do to us. And some of them strategically stayed in Jerusalem and others you know, went out. And they suffered. And they were just as brave, if not braver, than any of the men listed in David's number in 2 Samuel 23. They don't have these, you know, nobody's going to make a movie about this, you know, heroic physical exploit that they accomplished. 
lot of people have made movies about their willingness just to die for what they believed in. Because that is powerful. That they would go without weapon. Except for the weapons of a spiritual nature that God gave them. And they would go into dark and hostile places to preach it. They would go into pluralistic places like the city of Athens, Greece. They would go throughout the Roman Empire and beyond to take a message to people whether they were ready for it or not. Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for there is a power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You see, this is a problem. This is a problem. That many disciples of Jesus in the early church were willing to die for their faith. And we're, about, we're getting close to a point in our country where many who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ won't tell the truth because they're afraid they'll lose their 501c3 status. That their nice mega buildings might get taxed. So you're going to see more and more acquiescing to the message of this world because of financial fear where those who came before us literally died so they could preach the gospel. That's sad. That's sad. We can't afford to make those types of compromises. But we need to be really clear in understanding that these men, these disciples of Jesus, they were ordinary people. They were fishermen. Shoot, Matthew... Matthew had already acquiesced. He'd been like, Roman Empire? That's too big to me to fight. You know, you got Simon the Zealot who's like, maybe there's a way. Right? Nationalistic hope. The Messiah's going to come. He's going to free us from Roman oppression. Okay? Like, look at the battles in the Old Testament. God had won and how the small could overcome the big. We've won before because of God. That could happen again. So you have that. Then you got people like Matthew who's just like, I'm not fighting Roman government. A lot easier just to collect taxes for, on their behalf. But God had to radically change both of their hearts and minds and attitudes, perspectives, in order for them to be useful in the church. He had to radically change them. But it's the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit active in dwelling them 
that enabled them to have the courage necessary because these dudes are just humans and most humans under that sort of pressure are just going to acquiesce. So what I'm saying is that if we're going to fight a spiritual battle that goes against the tide, against the flow of our culture and of the ways of this world and of spiritual powers of darkness in this world, we have to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not in the power of whatever your name is. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6, just read, we're going to read verses 10 through 20 to finish this morning, but it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. Same thing's true in 2 Samuel 23. It's true today. It's, if there's going to be a victory, the Lord's going to win it. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, uh, to stand against the walls of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace I love that can I just, back, can I just hold on just there one second your waist girded with truth there is still truth God's truth is truth Truth is not a relative, you know, it's one day and gone the next. Truth is truth. But on the breastplate of righteousness, there's a fundamental difference in how we live our lives. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, again, that's active. That's That's a going, that's a being intentional. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I should speak. We need faith. We need to know that our salvation is secure in Jesus. We need the word of God. We need prayer. We need boldness that comes in the Spirit of God to speak the truth. May God help us in that, that the church of Jesus would be mighty 
in His strength. That we would be unashamed. That we would be active. And that we would not shrink back. The just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we ask for your help. Um, Father, we ask for your help because in our own strength, we cannot do what you have asked us to do. In our flesh, we cannot do what you have asked us to do. But we have great hope and confidence this morning because in you, what is impossible for us on our own is possible. We are thankful that it is possible to live in victory in your name, dear Jesus. Help us to do so. This morning, as we take that bread and that cup, we pray that you would increase our love for you, that our hearts and minds would be focused on you, that we would remember you, dear Jesus, and that we would lift your name on high, that none of our names would be lifted high this morning, but only yours, dear Jesus. And help us in these next minutes to concentrate on you and on your love that our hearts and minds would be focused on you and that our words the songs we sing would be about you and the words we say would be about you and for your glory help us to be the people that you have designed us to be for we are your workmanship We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.